Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help. With the aid of my favorite wrestling show, this is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we're covering a crucial piece of wrestling history. As possibly the biggest star in the current era of professional wrestling, River dances her way into our hearts. Uh, Yes, the episode of NXT that originally aired on June 26th, 2014, is filled with baffling choices. So, who better to discuss it with than a person who, in June of a different year, made an equally baffling choice by marrying me? Sharon Schneiderman is here. Hi, Hi Sharon. <laughs> Hi, Bob. Hi, Miles. Hi, babe. Love you. I <laughs> love you, too. It wasn't that baffling. Welcome to episode 58 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, we fell all the way the fuck in love with the villains, an instantaneous and beautiful romance that is not going anywhere and indeed continues today. Our guest, Sharon Schneiderman, shares our feelings for those very good circus boys. But there are a few other reasons she wanted to join us for this particular show, most notably the debut of Becky Lynch. And on a totally unrelated note, this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan is brought to you by nepotism. (laughs) Tired of not getting to see your family during work hours? (laughs) Want to hang out with your ridiculously smart and cool wife as part of your job? Try nepotism. Nice. Nine out of ten family members agree it works, and the tenth family member is the one who asked them. Sharon, welcome to The Next Wrestling Fan. Thank you for having me. I, I like to spend your work day with you, too. Yeah, it's nice having you around. You're uh, you're not working as much anymore these days, and so it's a little bit easier to get you on the show. As you know, every time we have a new guest, we ask them about their history with pro wrestling, and with NXT specifically. So obviously, I already know all about what you're going to say, uh, but tell Bob and all the people listening to this about your uh, unique relationship with pro wrestling. <laughs> Well, I'd say I've had some ups and downs. Yeah. So I watched wrestling when I was a kid. I was little and I remember the whole, you know, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage, like the super soap opera drama of like hospital rooms and scary Sherry and all that craziness that happened. And so I have like a pretty good memory of old wrestlers. Mm. And then we jumped this massive amount of time that I did not watch anything to do with wrestling. We had, you know, cursory understanding of what was going on, I guess. But then I happened to start dating someone who was extremely into Monday Night Raw. So from about 2004, maybe 2005, until... 
beginning of 2014, I saw almost every single episode of Monday Night Raw. Wow. And nearly every pay-per-view event. And just so you know, that was a rough time to be watching Monday Night Raw. Yeah. (laughs) That's not great. (laughs) I also got to see some of the ECW and TNA. Yeah, I was going to say you got to see some TNA stuff, some Impact stuff. And we should mention this is your first husband that we're talking about. That is my... You dated him, but you did marry him. I did marry him. I was at the wedding. You were. Yes. Miles has been at both of my weddings in very different (laughs) capacities. (laughs) And then when things started going downhill, I stopped watching that show because why would I watch something I didn't want to watch with somebody I didn't want to be around? Yeah. (laughs) And so I had, I kind of knew what NXT was. I think I saw a little bit of the early, Mm -hmm. like, reality TV show. Yeah. But then it kind of fell off my radar and of course i knew like the people who came from it i knew of like the wyatts and that whole thing and but i wasn't as excited about those people when they came in because i didn't know about their origins because he didn't really watch nxt right Mm-mm. like i said we watched a little bit of the like the early game show yeah thing. back in 2010 yeah and then Mm-hmm. We started dating. We did. And you are quite into NXT. <laughs> I only started the podcast about it. <laughs> and uh, Miles kind of reintroduced me to some of his favorite matches. And something I love about Miles and wrestling, like how he relates to it, is he has a deep understanding of what's good and what's not good, and for kind of different reasons, right? Like, he enjoys the storytelling aspect of it, um, which kind of draws me in. I'm like, well, that's interesting, because that's always the best part. It's a soap opera, right? Like, I want to know what happens to the peoples. And so that made me, I don't know, it made me really interested in it, because he had a reason. Because uh, my ex, if I made fun of any part of it, he would get very mad at me. And Miles is most of the time amused (laughs) by my mockery. (laughs) Wrestling is objectively hilarious and should be made fun of. And it's the biggest thing that most wrestling fans don't understand, is that wrestling, as much as we love it, is fucking stupid. And if oh, you're yeah. not able to laugh at it, I don't know what you're doing here. I remember you saying, like, that you didn't realize there was good wrestling. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, because Monday Night Raw is just yeah, it's a- trash a lot of the time. Oh. Yeah. It's so long. Especially at that period of time. It was, you know, rough. I saw John Cena wrestle Randy Orton way too oh. many times. Oh, boy. And- yeah, didn't we all? They're both perfectly fine wrestlers and they're good at it but i don't want to see them wrestle every single week i don't care yeah (laughs) and then the other thing i'll say uh is that i introduced sharon to lucha underground and i will never forget ever the first time that i watched lucha underground without her and i was like i figured you wouldn't care and she was like no you never watch an episode of lucha underground without me actually that brings me to one of my questions which is is wrestling a thing that you both love and consume individually? Like you'll watch it without one another in the room or is it like a couple's activity that you always try to do with one another because you don't want the other person to miss out? For me, I enjoy it because Miles is really into it and I like 
see I like being a part of things that my my partner loves you know like that's just so fun right to see their face when they're really excited I'll watch a very small amount of wrestling by myself, but not not typically. Yeah, not really. I like to know about the wrestlers, so sometimes I look up like articles about them or about their history, that kind of thing. Miles will watch it on his own. Yeah, although honestly, these days, like with the kid and everything, it's pretty hard. But when we're watching any TV, it's just almost by necessity together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd say we mostly watch it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And who was your first favorite wrestler, Sharon? Oh, my absolute first favorite wrestler? Yeah, I'm very curious. I mean, I really liked Hulk Hogan, which is kind of mm. unfortunate because he's kind of a terrible person. But yeah. I, mean, yeah. I also really liked Jake the Snake Roberts. Oh, wow. <laughs> I just really, really liked him. I loved the giant anaconda and I just wanted to pet it. I was that oh, yeah. kid. So I chased my brother around with bugs frequently when I was a child. So that was the kid I was. The ball python hanging out in our living room currently can attest to the fact that you are still that kid. (laughs) Well, Sharon will have a lot to say as we go through Bob's breakdown, and she'll also help us ring the bell for a couple of folks here in NXT. She will then join us for the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling, and we will wrap things up with a very special edition of Guess the Gimmick. I'm very excited for both of you. Okay. Wrestling Term of the Week and the Cheap Pop Quiz will both be back on our next episode, but we do have to get the answers to last episode's Cheap Pop Quiz. And actually, I also need to do some housekeeping in that regard, because if the listeners have been keeping track over the last few weeks, they may have noticed, as I indeed did not notice until recently, that one of Bob's points was accidentally lost between episodes. Uh, it, just, it magically vanished. That was not intentional, uh, but it was my fault because I'm the one who maintains that information, so uh, that's on me. The result is that Bob thought they were going into last episode's cheap pop quiz with 13 points, but in fact, they actually have 14 points. Oh my goodness. Which means they only need one more to earn another romance novel bonus episode, and this time featuring a guest. Uh, so my apologies, Bob, for the mix-up. No worries. Let's go ahead and see if you got that elusive final point. Question number one. Next episode features two notable debuts, and one of them involves our favorite thing in the world, the cultural stereotype character. Which culture is being stereotyped this time? Is it A, Irish, B, Scottish, C, Samoan, D, Jewish, or E, the American South, a.k.a. redneck culture? Bob, you went with C, Samoan. Uh, As you now know, that was incorrect. Mm -hmm. Correct answer is A, Irish. We will get to that. Boy, will we. And Samoan was a good guess. Thank you. Thank you. I thought so, although in retrospect, (laughs) I should have remembered that Becky Lynch was coming. Question number two. The other debuting wrestler doesn't have a cultural gimmick, but they do have a nickname that gets established during their first appearance. What is it? A. The definition of technician. B. The sensation of innovation. C. The last of a dying breed. D. The original player from the Himalaya. (laughs) Or E. The world's largest love machine. I made precisely none of those up, in case you were wondering. Those are all very real wrestler nicknames. 
Uh, Bob, you, in some sort of bizarre intuition for something you are going to hate, yep. selected C, the last of a dying breed, and you were correct. <laughs> and so. I never have I been so unhappy to be right. Well, perhaps not never, but boy, was I unhappy to be right. <laughs> Bob, with that, very bittersweet answer, <laughs> correct answer. You have won your 15-point bonus episode. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was a long Yay! road to get here. So many people to thank. <laughs> we have one more question on the list just to see if Bob is going to start off the next round of questioning with a slight advantage. Question number three. Next episode, we will meet Matt Sugarman. Who is Matt Sugarman? A, he's a jobber whose career consists entirely of this match. B, he's a jobber whose NXT and WWE career consists entirely of this match, but who was a huge star on the independent scene. C, he's a jobber who will go on to become a major character in NXT. D, he's a jobber who will go on to become a major character on the main roster. Or E, he's Matt Jackson of the Young Bucks. Bob, you went with E, presumably because you wanted it to be. I That would have been entertaining, but I should have remembered that I think most of uh, the people in the Bullet Club have not been in WWE, I don't think. Certainly the Bucks have never worked yes. for Vince, that's for sure. The correct answer is A. He's a jobber whose career consists entirely of this match, and we'll talk very, a very little bit more about that when we ring the bell for oh, him later on. Oh, I am fascinated. <laughs> With that, I believe it's time to get into this episode, and we do that by getting into Bob's Breakdown. Match one, and it's the Vaude Villains! What a mustache on that guy, screams Alex (laughs) Riley. And I'm not going to boo him, because he's right. (laughs) The put your dukes up chant starts from the audience because they know what the fuck is up. The Vaude Villains are facing jobbers, T. Perkins and Matt Sugarman, some peak NXT names. I was like... Our NXT names for the next wrestling fan federation are never going to be as good as those ones. I remember the the initial idea of, to give NXT names to our patrons uh, was to give them like recognizably jobberish NXT names, but we got off that pretty quick and started giving them cool names and interesting characters because we like our patrons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but- Although I am a fan of the NXT name, I enjoy. Yeah, You know, Chud Cannon or whatever kind of name they have. That's great. Well, and this one's, they're facing the tag team of Tea and Sugar. So how, how, can, you, how can you argue with that? Precious. The VOD villains start out in control and are so in control that Simon Gotch has the time to get T. Perkins in a headlock with his calves, roll him over so Gotch is in position to do some push-ups, which he intersperses with claps each time he pushes up. The only thing... That would make it better as if there was a little dog standing on his back barking. So Aiden English finishes T. Perkins off with that diving senton that looks like he's going to die. Yeah, he really, he really waits till the last minute to turn over on that one. I know, I'm like, so you're just looking to break your neck, huh? Is that, <laughs> that a fun injury to recover from? Terrifying. The jangly piano starts up again after the ref counts three, and we return to the magical black and white. And I have questions. Okay, so one... The Vaude villains, villains, their heels, they do not seem especially heelish, by which I mean they mm. are not cheating to win. They seem like 
nice heels, question mark? Am I reading this wrong? Or is it just because they're fighting jobbers at the moment that it's like, well, you don't, I don't need to cheat to win. I don't care how villainous you are. If you're being booked so that you have to cheat to win to beat jobbers, uh, <laughs> you're not being booked properly. Uh, okay. uh, most most heels do not ever have to cheat to win to beat jobbers. And okay. it would be kind of lame if they did. I think sometimes they do it when the heel is one that like kind of their character is that they don't have to cheat, but they like to mm-hmm. cheat to win. It might also have happened like when they're trying to establish the jobber as a more important character. They might ah, sometimes do it that way. Okay. The other issue here, of course, is that villain in the name or no, the audience is super into everything that they're doing. So <laughs> it's hard to kind of see them as heels when the audience just is in love with them immediately. If I'm not mistaken, they will be booked as heels when they actually start wrestling other tag teams. Okay. But I also uh, make no promises on to how long the crowd allows that to last. Okay. Well, I'm also curious about the camera effects because the villains get more camera effects than anybody else gets. They get black and white yes. and then they also get kind of the glitchy look of early mm-hmm. uh, video recording. So... Does wrestling have much of a history of using the medium of film in those ways to kind of enrich the at-home experience even more than the live in-person experience? Because obviously you can't put a filter on reality, but you can put a filter on a camera. So uh, is that a thing that they do a lot or is that a thing that they use really sparingly? Because I remember at one point you talking about the cursed blue lighting I think for Sin Cara, maybe, where you're like, why did yeah. you do a shitty lighting for this one guy? What the hell? Although that yeah. also impacts the live viewing experience. So tell me about camera effects. So there is a history of it to a certain extent, almost exclusively during entrances, which is what okay. this was. Um, although they actually, I, I did like how they went back to the black and white after they had won. That's not something you see all the time. A lot of the time, especially in, like, the Attitude Era, you would see, like, if you were watching the broadcast as opposed to being in the arena, the screen would be filled up with, like, maybe whatever was happening on the big Titantron or whatever, oh. and that would somehow transition into their entrance. Or, like, I remember when um, when D-Generation X was really big, they would have, like, weird, like, glitches because they were an anarchistic faction, right? So, like, you would have little glitches in the feed and, like, little waveform kind of going across the screen to indicate that. They do it sometimes. In more recent years, WWE has started doing this really annoying thing, which I hate. Sharon's shaking her head right now, where they like they have these weird like 3D. Bob, I'm sure you've seen it. They did it for WrestleMania. Yes. You have these weird like 3D images that poke out. I like them. They're awful. Yeah, they're terrible. Uh, I hate them, but uh, I'm glad you enjoy them. I mean, it was enjoyable in a bad way. Yeah, it was sort of like watching football and they do the same thing on football. They're like, we have this technology. (laughs) But when football does it, they seem like they're in earnest. When wrestling does it, it seems like, (laughs) I don't know, we're just doing some shit. We bought the technology. We'll just put this out there. Sure, have a three-headed dog or whatever. Go for it. Back in the day, the NWO used to do something very similar to this, and that when they would come out, there the lighting would go black and white, and it would also get a little bit choppy. So this is a little bit similar to that. So there's there's okay. there's a bit of a history to it. It's not something that you see super often, but it's not unknown in wrestling either to any extent. I would like to see it a little more backstage. 
Sami Zayn is displeased at the treachery of Tyson Kidd and is riled up. There will be more to hear about Zayn and Kidd in the future, so put your money on that. And every time I see Zayn, I am struck by the fact that previously he was a masked wrestler who didn't talk. And like, right. he is both incredibly beautiful and great on the mic. And like, I know, I know he, he can do it all. And it's like, why is he not the most famous man in the entire universe? He's amazing. He's so cute. <laughs> it kills me. I just want to hug him. A man who can sell a feud with Logan Paul to me is a man who can sell anything. I don't care what you say. He is very good at what he does. Boy, is he. Then we get an ad for Money in the Bank, and I just was curious about your thoughts on Money in the Bank as a WWE product, how you feel about it in comparison to other big WWE pay-per-view events, because I have seen but one Money in the Bank, I believe, mm-hmm. and it was the one where Otis won for the men, and uh, I don't remember who won the women's, somebody it was the one where they held it in the building, the WWE building. And it's like six floors tall. Like it's not yeah, that oh, big, yeah. but they did it in there because they didn't have, they wanted it to be as COVID safe as they could have it while still having right. it. And uh, Oscar, so Oscar won that one. There we go. Oscar. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was stupid. And I kind of enjoyed how fucking stupid it was. That was the throes of COVID when they were doing the cinematic stuff. I haven't actually seen that match. I need to watch it sometime. They should do more cinematic bullshit, really. <laughs> they should. So Money in the Bank, this one in particular gives me some some bad vibes. It was actually almost my feels. Oh, boy. Just because the reason in this particular instance, the ladder match is not for the briefcase that gives you an opportunity to win the championship. It was for the championship itself. And the reason for that was because Daniel Bryan had vacated <gasps> the championship because of his concussion issues oh. and he was retiring. He eventually would come back a couple of times, actually, uh, but yeah. So that was his first kind of, like, big retirement, and it was a real fucking bummer, because it was right after the Daniel Bryan fervor had led him to, like, main event WrestleMania and win the championship, and it was a huge thing, and it got me, me personally, it was what got me back into wrestling, and then for him to just have to retire due to concussions, and they gave, they ended up giving the fucking thing right back to Cena, and it was like, oh my god. Ah, boo. Money in the Bank in general, I've always liked the concept yeah, I remember I was actually watching when the first Money in the Bank happened at WrestleMania, I want to say 21, Oh, I believe was the first Money in the Bank match. I liked it a lot better when it was like a big WrestleMania match that happened. Okay, I can see that. I don't like it as much now that it's its own event, but I thought the idea was, was pretty fun. It's been driven into the ground a little bit, and I don't always like the way they approach it, but in general, it's a fun concept. I still think it's probably better than Hell in a Cell. Oh, yeah. Give it to me over Hell in a Cell any day of the week. All right. Match two. Xavier Woods has new music. Pretty fucking dope. CJ Parker is here with his sign, uh, but clears out before Bull Dempsey comes out. Oh, my fucking God. Alex Riley just balls out, (laughs) says he's the last of a dying breed. Are you Uh fucking kidding me? We will get to this, but suffice it to say, I started out outraged. Sure. So the match starts. Woods takes a swing and gets Dempsey, who just nods and does the, so it's like that, is it? They lock up, and then they stay locked up. It's a real headlocky opening. Now, there are wrestlers who can pull this off. I don't know that Dempsey is one of them. 
Now he wallops the shit out of Woods' chest, and it's the loudest I've ever heard, so I was impressed with that. Woods is able to battle back, kick Dempsey in the head, and go to the top for a crossbody that ends with Xavier just being hit out of midair. And I remember Lucas talking about the jump into nothing. That was not a jump into nothing. Xavier Woods committed, and he got the shit beat out of him for it. And I was very impressed that he did it, but also like... Yes. Xavier Woods deserves a billion times more than this, and I was very unhappy. But the audience is chanting, bull, 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 because they are fools. He does a power slam. I I think it was a power slam on Xavier Woods. We'll fucking talk about it later. (laughs) Okay. And pins him for the win. I'm pissed. I want my money back. Like, okay. (laughs) Uh, There is nothing wrong with Bull Dempsey. And I would rather watch this than the way that they handle Rusev. I would rather watch this a million times over than watch Mojo Raleigh do anything. But they give Dempsey the mic. This sport used to be for men. (laughs) He's here to bring that back and wrecking ball anyone that gets in his way. All right. So this is, I have two soapboxes. This is a smaller soapbox that I have brought out. I brought my own soapboxes with me. So uh, Chikara is one of the first wrestling federations that I watched and one that I watched maybe more of in the early days than I watched of NXT by far, I'd say. I watched a ton of Chikara. Um, Especially the early days. And so I watched a lot of Eddie Kingston. And Eddie Kingston is the wrestler that Bull Dempsey is based off of, if you don't know. I mean, I know you guys know, but if you at home don't know. We talked about gimmick infringement on the last episode, specifically because of this. Because Bull Dempsey is doing a bad Eddie Kingston impression. And the gap, I shouldn't even say the gap, the gulf between what Bull Dempsey is giving and what Eddie Kingston is as a performer is unimaginably vast. And it's not because Bull Dempsey isn't doing a good job. He is. It's because Eddie Kingston is like one of the best and everything he does is fucking incredible and you can't look away from it. And Eddie Kingston, I would watch him wrestle anybody, even though he wrestles a style I could not give a shit about. (laughs) He is in character 110% at all times. I love him. This gimmick infringement is like a crime. I was incensed. How did this happen? What the actual fuck? Well, because it seemed like the Bull Dempsey guy... They were trying to make him into, like, this badass character, and he just didn't look like he believed it. He Like, I was looking at his face, and I'm like, you don't believe what you're doing. You're badly acting being angry. Well, and it made me <laughs> think that Bull Dempsey didn't say, hey, I'll do this character. It made me think that he'd been handed this character, which... It was a further complicating factor because then it meant yeah. that there was oversight at the top that was like, sure, we're happy to steal from this guy on the indies who's doing really well. There's no real way to know for sure who came up with it, whose idea it was, how it actually happened. But I think it's pretty clear. And looking over like the reporting that was happening on NXT from this period of time, like as soon as he started doing it, everybody was like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like. Or do you just assume that, like, the NXT audience doesn't watch Chikara and you can get away with this? I personally will say I uh, have some fondness for Bull. At, at least at the time, I there was a, there's a period of time that we're approaching 
where I was like kind of into Bull Dempsey and I didn't really know who Eddie Kingston was. I had watched him wrestle a couple of times, maybe in like Ring of Honor, but I was not a Chikara guy. Uh, I was not following the wrestling promotions where Eddie Kingston primarily worked. So I, I didn't really know that he called himself the last of the dying breed. And so it did, for me, it didn't register. Um, mm. But for a lot of people at the time, it did. Ironically, Bull Dempsey, after leaving uh, NXT, spoiler alert for ringing the bell down the road, he will eventually leave NXT and he will go on to wrestle Eddie Kingston on several occasions in like 2018, I think thereabouts, 20, wow. 2016, 17, 18. And <laughs> from what I can tell, Bull Dempsey is undefeated against Eddie Kingston. Oh, so. wow. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. D- don't love it. All right. Eddie Kingston's living his best life now. He gets to pretend to be husbands with John Moxley and they go around doing dumb shit. It's great. So, match three, Summer Rae enters with the BFF still somehow. I like uh, I guess we'll see how long this lasts. I don't they keep making up and breaking up. But Summer Rae has new music. I was into that. And then Becky Lynch enters and she is wearing green. And her music is Irish fiddle, quote unquote, and she does fake Irish dancing. And Neil and I cringed mightily throughout and for good reason. And I will get to this because these thoughts are big and kind of important. The crowd is chanting for Lynch already. So it's clear that there's so much love for her and that I guess that she'd been wrestling a bunch of dark matches. She must have been because they were like howling for her. There's actually a number of reasons. And in fact... Before you continue, Bob, Mm -hmm. I think we're going to need to uh, do a little trading card here (gasps) for Becky Lynch. So, Rebecca Quinn has had one of the more fascinating wrestling careers, both before and after NXT. She was trained in her home country of Ireland by a wrestler we now know as Finn Balor. Uh, We'll have a lot more to say about him when he eventually shows up in NXT. And Sharon is very, (laughs) getting very dreamy eyed. (laughs) Oh, I love me some Finn Balor. (laughs) Um, She fairly quickly came to North America where she worked for the Canadian all-woman promotion Supergirls and the American all-woman promotion Shimmer Women Athletes. As Rebecca Knox, she first wrestled on Shimmer Volume 3 in February 2006, and she was immediately positioned as a major star. She was in either the main event or the semi-main event in three of her four broadcast Shimmer matches, and she had the longest match in three of the four as well. She went 2-0 against Shimmer founder Allison Danger and 1-1 against Shimmer's biggest babyface, Daisy Hayes, defeating Hayes in a 28-minute 2 out of 3 falls match on Volume 5. Supposedly, she and Hayes were set to compete in a 60-minute Ironman match on Volume 7, but that match never happened. While wrestling in Germany, Quinn suffered a serious head injury. According to a Supergirl's injury report from the time, quote, Rebecca has reported that she is suffering from extremely painful headaches, loud buzzing in her left ear and vision as a result of the injury, 
and has been diagnosed with possible damage to her eighth cranial nerve. Yeesh. Uh, she is currently out of action while awaiting results of a CT brain scan, but the injury is possibly career-threatening. And indeed, fans were pretty sure that the injury was career-ending. Quinn was out of wrestling for six years after that. Aside from three sporadic matches in Ireland and making a few brief shimmer appearances as the manager for Brittany Knight, a.k.a. Paige, and her mother, Soraya Knight, in 2011. She also worked as an actress during this period. Uh, she holds a legit acting degree from the Dublin Institute of Technology. Oh. She did some stunts on the show Vikings, and she even worked as a flight attendant during this period of time. However, in 2013, she was signed to a developmental deal by NXT, who renamed her Becky Lynch. The rest is history, uh, and I am very excited to get into that history as we get to know Becky as part of our coverage here. Uh, let's just say the river dancing goes away very quickly. Oh, thank God. <laughs> She's also, if you happen to look really, really closely at what Adam Rose's yes. big group of yes. party dancers, yeah. she's one of the really enthusiastic ones, which I love pointing her out every time I see that. Yeah. <laughs> she's the one with tubes in her hair. That's right. Uh-huh. <laughs> she always looks like she's having such a fun time. So Becky does a bit of a quote-unquote jig, which is the cue for <laughs> Summer Ray to do some dance moves of her own, and Summer Ray sure. reacts really strongly to the situation, comes unglued, kicks the shit out of Lynch and throws her to the mat, and then, like, stuff happens, because there's ructions on the outside, <laughs> as Charlotte and Sasha are talking or something, and the crowd really seems to pick up on what's going on. They're chanting something that I didn't catch, and Summer Ray is outraged, goes to the ropes to scream at, you know, the BFFs, this is my match. And then Lynch slides in for roll up, almost pinning Summer Ray for the win. No dice, but three leg drops in a row takes the wind out of Summer Ray's sails. And she runs to beg for mercy from the, her BFFs. But they look totally unbothered by the situation, which I'm like, okay, are you breaking up again? But you might make up again, maybe? Becky grabs Summer Ray in, I think, so... Whenever you hook the leg in that, that sexy, like, you know, leg hook, is that a fisherman's suplex? Not always. I think the move that she used to beat Summer here is, I believe, an exploder suplex. How? Okay, well, we'll get to that at some point. I just, I can never tell when something is an exploder versus any other kind of suplex. Is it just you let go sooner? You just toss them? Kinda, yeah. That's you, You've okay. got the right idea. Like, it's a little bit more, like, throwy and a little bit less hold them as you go down. Oh, okay. Well, it yeah. works. And it uh, does. victory for Becky Lynch. So, now, this is my big soapbox. This is a very large soapbox. Okay, I'm dragging it over here. So, Becky Lynch is great, and I can see that she's only going to get better. And this gimmick, though, was really is rough. Um, <laughs> I studied Irish lit at Trinity College Dublin, and uh, I learned a lot about the history of how the Irish have been portrayed. And there's this thing that we learned about and that we had to read plays involving called Stage Irish. And it's basically this performative Irishness that's demanded of the Irish and not dissimilar to the black minstrel shit in American history for so, for example, like the accent that we often think of in movies as Irish isn't an accent that exists in Ireland. It's cobbled together an exaggerated accent that actors are often forced to put on in order to be read as Irish by British and American audiences. And all of this is related mm. to British colonialism and the dehumanization of a culture, which is super not cool. 
This is super normal, though, because so there are two choices for any performer from Scotland, Wales or Ireland, if they want to make it in performance, you either become a comedy version of your culture in many cases, or you pretend you're English a lot of the time. Think back to Good Omens. The two leads are David Tennant and Michael Sheen, a Scottish guy and a Welsh guy, and yet both of them are doing English accents because their real accents aren't going to be taken seriously and are not considered acceptable for mainstream stuff. It was considered fucking a big deal when Doctor Who was from the north of England, because even that (laughs) is culturally other enough to need pointing out and need explanation. Like it wasn't okay to just have Christopher Eccleston be the doctor. They had to make a fucking point of it in the plot because they were like, well, you can't have somebody from the north. So uh, this is the long and continuous reach of colonialism, classism, etc. The English spent centuries eradicating Irish culture. And even when I see Irish people participating in their own stereotyping, it sucks because it's not like it's a free choice that they have. They're stuck in this expectation of performing a specific kind of faux Irishness for British and American crowds. And I I do want to be very clear. This is not something that I think is worse or better than racism or colorism or any other kind of ism. I just think that it's something that we don't acknowledge. Like we learned cultural chauvinism from England and it's stuck deep in us. And colonialism has a much bigger reach than we acknowledge and has touched all sorts of cultures, even those that we often read as white. And so I just want to say that no one should have to perform their culture, race or ethnicity like anything as a watered down stage play version of it. I don't want that for Xavier Woods, Rusev, Camacho, Becky Lynch, any of them. And I know that a lot of those performers will eventually find ways to escape that set of expectations, but it sucks. And I wanted to really point this out because I think that it's a thing that goes unremarked upon, not just in terms of like the Irish, but in terms of we don't ever talk about the fact that you will see actors from those areas on your TV screen all the time. And they're always doing an English accent because that's expected of them. And it fucking blows. And so there we go. Fuck colonialism. Oh, that was a gorgeous soapbox. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. I remember when David Tennant was in the episode where he speaks with his accent. Yes. And it's so beautiful. I was like, wait, why don't you talk like this all the time? Yeah, it's really unfortunate. And Why did they make you? It, because the British, because cultural chauvinism. I mean, I don't know. It's We certainly aren't any better at it. We certainly, yeah. whenever we hire people for period dramas, we're like, well, are you going to do a British accent? Because that's what the past sounded like. And we're like, okay. Like, think about fucking Game of Thrones. I mean, any of that shit. It's like, it's just this expectation. And it's, uh, all right. I'm glad that Becky Lynch is here now. And I know she's going to get to be amazing. And I read an article kind of about her on WrestleCrap about the start of this really unfortunate stereotype and like how she kind of had to battle out of it and where she got to eventually. But I was like, oh, man. Yeah. Boo. Boo. So anyway, but I'm glad that she is doing the amazing shit that she gets to do now. I just wanted to comment how beautiful this match was. Like, I just like watching them do just simple moves was really like both wrestlers are so good in this match. Like Mm -hmm. they really they coordinate well and it was just kind of more seamless. Women's wrestling is the best wrestling. It's just (laughs) it's just the fact of the matter. It's that seamless movement. And then, 
match for Lady Whistledown's match report. <laughs> a tall gentleman has been seen around the town, and it's reported that such tallness and certified genius is not something that one can be taught. He has chosen to test himself against Mr. Sawyer Fulton, and their match proves that indeed there are things that cannot be taught, as he big boots and then elbow drops Mr. Fulton for the win. The match is clearly just a preamble for the arrival of Mr. Sylvester Lefort and Marcus Louis, which does seem like unfortunate news for Mr. Cassidy, when the orchestra struck up another tune. Much to the surprise of myself and the gathered onlookers, it's Mr. Enzo Amore, <laughs> back from convalescing in the more pleasant climes of Spain for his delicate health, you know. But he is back and, ahem, <laughs> bada boom, the realest gentleman in the room. <laughs> That's the best I can do to get us through those rough times whenever we have to deal with those two. I want to punch Enzo Amore. Like, I just want to, he's one of those people that I'm like, I'm not usually like a, I just don't like you instantly. I don't like him. I just want him to go away and not have to look at his face ever again. And Big Cass isn't any better. I still have a hard time not getting into it at this period of NXT and I don't apologize for it. Fair enough. <laughs> I I have one more thing to mention about oh, this yes. match. Yes, please tell us. Please. Because I really like Sawyer Fulton in uh-huh. future... In the future, okay. Sawyer Fulton is part of a very cool group that I enjoy quite a bit. And, and specifically, you thought he was super hot. He, he, somehow. That's fine. He evolves past whatever is happening in this match. And he is hot. As, as that character, he's really hot. In this particular match, it looks like he's trying to be like Eminem's cousin that got invited to like a, a tuxedo party. And then he got in a fight and it got ripped off. I don't. Yeah. It's, it's his hair, everything. Match number five. Tyler Breeze has joined the commentary team for this as the number one contender, and he's a man that hasn't had a lot of practice yes-anding. There is a substantial amount of no-but. Renee does her best to overcome. It's, uh, it's an interesting thing. So the match at hand is Neville versus Rob Van Dam. They lock up. It's some fun scrabbles and hold for hold and weaving and bobbing and ducking and they get down on the mat and each of them tries to do like a somersault onto one another and each of them misses. And I was like, why doesn't every face versus face match feel this interesting? This is fun. And Neville ends up on the outside and Van Damme comes after him only to get kicked in the face. And then back in the ring, RVD straddles Neville on the middle of the top rope leaps to the corner and then does like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles leaping kick at Neville to knock him off the rope. Amazing. He gets Neville into the Tree of Woe and then a spinning kick to the midsection. Neville collapses to the mat. Neville is barely able to stand up after that, but rallies enough to get in some kicks that floor Van Dam and that missile drop kick that lays him out. RVD does a power slam and follows it up with a straddle on the ropes to bounce into a moonsault. Like a god, because RVD, not afraid of having his taint wrecked. <laughs> so Neville regroups and delivers a gross-looking DDT, drags RVD into the corner and does the red arrow for the win. Amazing. It's over. They hug. Well, they don't hug, but they should have hugged. But they, they did have nice, good boy feels. 
Indeed. Well said. Nice good boy feels. I like it. Oh my gosh. And you could tell it was like kind of real at the end there. It was oh, so sure, sweet. Yeah. They were like, that was such a good match. It was so cute. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for that breakdown, Bob. What did you think about this episode overall? Uh, soapboxes and and everything. Um, it was hard to watch it a second time, but there were some some gold in amongst the shit. Well said. Well, we're going to talk about some of that gold that we found amongst the shit. But before that, we just quickly have to uh, to ring the bell here. First of all, we are ringing the bell for Matt Sugarman, as mm-hmm. mentioned. Uh, yeah, as far as I can tell, this is the first, last, and only wrestling match performed by Matt Sugarman. So uh, I hope you didn't get attached to him because he does not exist in wrestling outside this match. <laughs> if you have uh, evidence to prove me wrong about that, I would love to see it. But... Uh, when Cage Match and websites like that don't know who you are, you probably don't have much of a wrestling career. We are also going to ring the bell on this episode for Rob Van Dam. Uh, this is the final NXT appearance of Rob Van Dam. Aww. Yeah, I'm sorry, Bob. Uh, he actually only has about two months left with WWE in general. This was his second run in WWE after the first one uh, ended prematurely due to his very strong appreciation for marijuana. <laughs> uh, I can't find much about why this run ended, but it was definitely for like quieter reasons. He wasn't being used a ton, that kind of thing. He wrestled sporadically on the independent circuit for a few years before popping up for a second run in Impact Wrestling, formerly known as TNA. He wrestled his last match for them in 2020 and seems to be mostly retired at this point, though he did show up in WWE for the Raw reunion show in 2019, and he was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2021. Uh, He has dedicated a significant portion of his life outside the ring to marijuana advocacy because he really, really loves weed. Um, and he even got to plug his RVD CBD brand of rolling papers during the WrestleMania 37 broadcast. So fuck yeah, RVD. What a good guy. I like him. I like him too. I'm sad that we don't get more of him, but it was nice that we got a little bit. Yeah. All right. With that, it is time to get into the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. So, Megan Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? The airbrush yin-yang on RVD's singlet. Such a weed bro (laughs) thing. Gotta love it. Very happy to see it. Miles, what did your elf eyes see? I feel like that might have been what your elf eyes saw last time he was here, too, but I'll allow it. It is very good. (laughs) It's good every time. Uh, My elf eyes saw Bull Dempsey's finishing move. Okay. Was it a power slam? Was it a body slam? Might have been like half of a kind of fucked up emerald flosion. I really, I really don't know. It is the fucking worst. Mm. <laughs> I don't remember like what his, like I'll be kind of surprised if that ends up being his regular finisher because it looked so bad. Um, especially like immediately after his match, you then get the Becky Lynch match where she just like pulls off that perfect exploder to win and just made him look so shitty by comparison. Mm. Uh, Hopefully we don't see it anymore because I don't know what to call it. And it was really, really terrible. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
All right, Sharon, what did your elf eyes see? So my elf eyes saw Sawyer Fulton's outfit, which Miles had not realized what this was. I didn't notice. Yeah. Discussing. So his shoes were shiny and had like a wingtip thing going on. They had like the white part. And I had been staring at them trying to figure out what the hell was happening because his outfit was confusing me. And so his pants were supposed to be tuxedo pants. Oh, boy. Um, They were like track pants, but they had the white stripe up this side. And then his his one shouldered singlet thing like went under the track pants, but it had like screen printed on collar and shirt. Um, And yeah, it was some kind of bizarre tuxedo thing that was really bad and i don't understand like nobody explained it there yeah. was nothing it was just kind of weird and there i i huh you know the only time sawyer fulton has come anywhere near expressing an actual character was the time we really wanted him to stop doing that uh that was that interview with uh LaFort. sylvester lafour oh god yeah and it was very weird and creepy i don't know what he's doing with this tuxedo thing and I'm fairly certain we never get to find out. <laughs> All right, Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear? All the new music. Xavier Woods, mm. Summer Rae, Enzo Amore, everybody had new music. And you know what? All of them were upgrades, and I was happy to hear it. Absolutely. Miles, what did your Vulcan ears hear? During the Vaude Villains match, I believe, in addition to the Put Your Dukes Up chant, there was a at one point when they... Pulled off some kind of move, the crowd began chanting, That was manly! Oh. Which I I did not realize that the That Was Manly chant went back to their second ever appearance. I just, I didn't know that the crowd was so into them so early, and it makes me so happy. I didn't hear that chant, and I'm so happy now I'm going to be listening for it in the future. Yeah. It was so cute. I don't think it was very loud, but like it definitely happened for a second. All right, Sharon, what did your Vulcan ears hear? I think it was Brennan who said this, but it it was when Big Cass came out. (laughs) Oh my God. He said he's a certified G and you can't teach that in the widest way I've ever heard Mm -hmm. anyone say almost anything. Yeah. It was the little teaser before the commercial break, right? When they showed him up, they showed his picture on the screen, and it was either Brandon or it might have been Tom Phillips doing voiceover. It might have been. We were trying to figure that out. And they were like, he's a certified G and a bona fide stud, and you can't teach that. It's like an infomercial. Yeah, I was like, yeah. are you selling him to me? I don't, I feel, you just said that in the weirdest way. I don't know. It was, it was uncomfortable and funny. <laughs> I think this might have been the first episode of our show where nobody's had anything to say about the commentary, which, you know, I think is fine. <laughs> I mean, they talked about mustaches and that was fine. But that was the, yeah, the first true. and only time during this whole thing. Although I will talk a little bit about it in just a second. That's fine. I think the commentary team of uh, Rich Brennan, Renee Young, and Alex Riley on this episode was like, well, honestly, one of the more forgettable outings. Oh, yeah. All right, Bob, what did your human heart feel? I'm going to go with the positive and say a deep, deep fondness for what a chill bro RVD is 
and how <laughs> much he put over Neville, like just committed wholeheartedly to putting Neville over, and it warmed my heart. So that. Okay. Aww. I like that. All right. And what did your human heart feel, Miles? I I understand totally where you're coming from, and I understand how the river dancing can sort of ruin it for you. But for me, just knowing Becky Lynch and being a fan of her for as long as I have been, it was so nice to see her here. I couldn't get past it. I love that she's finally in NXT. I love that we get to watch her wrestle. I love that the the four horsewomen, uh, as they came to be known, Becky, Charlotte, Bailey, and Sasha are finally together, finally doing things. And um, I'm just excited. Becky Lynch's arrival really signifies like the beginnings of a new era in women's wrestling. And I'm very excited that we've made it. Sharon, what did your human heart feel? My human heart felt awe when Neville did a standing shooting star. (laughs) Yeah. And I was just like, what? It was so pretty and almost slow motion. Mm. It was just gorgeous. I don't. Got air on that thing too. Like a lot of people try to do the standing shooting star and they barely make it over, but he had like room to spare. Yeah, he just made it look so effortless, and I was like, "Gosh, that was beautiful." <laughs> He's a springy boy. I totally understand, like just feeling awe when you watch him do things, and I think we were we were watching it together, and we were both kind of like, "My God, that man!" Every time he moves, you're just like, "How are you?" You're so graceful and yeah. yet so solid. He's really unique in terms of how he moves in the ring. And now, our newest and most bowful segment. Unbelievable <laughs> commitment, otherwise known as the Borance Olivier Award, for showing <laughs> real actorly commitment to the role that you're portraying at the time. Miles, who are you putting up as your nomination for the Borance Olivier Award? I am nominating Charlotte for just a single moment that really stuck in my mind. You know, she and Sasha have that tiff with Summer at ringside, and Summer ends up losing the match. And when Summer loses the match, the camera cuts over to Charlotte, and you can just see her mouth the word, whoops. (laughs) And it is just like... The quintessential, her expression and the way she does it, you can't even hear it. But, like, it's just so fucking mean girl, and it's amazing. That's perfect. All right, Sharon, who do you have going up for the Bowens Olivier Award? I mean, this isn't for a good thing, but, man, I thought Becky Lynch just committed the hell out of that. I tend to agree. Like, man, she was like, you know what? You want me to do this stupid gimmick? Here you go. Because <laughs> she'd do it, like, during the match. She'd hit a move and she'd start river dancing again. And I was like, yeah. this is painful like, to watch. Triumphant, man. triumphant jigging. <laughs> I'm like, you just leaned in. She did. She did lean in. And mine also, not for a good reason, Tyler Breeze. The <laughs> absolute commitment to stonewalling the entire improv process by (laughs) remaining solidly in character and just going, no, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be doing any of this. Like the RPG playing person in your party who is like, well, my character just wouldn't participate. You're like, why are you here then? (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) 
That was a very, you're right. It was some unbelievable commitment. I really wish Renee had just left him alone because she was really good throughout most of the episode. And then when the main event happened, she was getting on my nerves when she wouldn't like she wouldn't stop trying to engage him. Yes, and he was just and he was just making it very clear that his character. Like you said, my character wouldn't do that. And Renee's like, no, but what about this, though? And it's like, oh, my God, leave it alone. Yeah. Oh, boy. But we got through it. We got through this episode. We did. We did. Well, we're running out of time here for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. But before we go, we have to do a little segment that we call Guess the Gimmick. If you are a $5 or higher patron of our show, you get to submit names for Guess the Gimmick, which is the segment where Bob Google image searches a random wrestler that they don't know much or anything about and uh, tells us what they think the wrestler's character is. Today's entry was brought to us by one of our beloved patrons, Eric McNaughton. Bob, Eric McNaughton would very much like you to Google image search the name Scott Steiner. That name means something to me. Now, Sharon, do you are you familiar with Scott Steiner? I feel like I would know if I saw a picture. What? Okay, well, let's go ahead and Google image search him on our end, too. So you, can, just, you can give your opinions. I just, I feel like maybe I know. Oh, my fucking God. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't remember what's going on with that, but I what do remember the fuck? that. Imagine <laughs> if, okay... If you ever saw the movie First Night, which I did because I had real <laughs> fucking thing about medieval films as a child, and it was like <laughs> the sexiest thing I could think of was a man in plate armor. And um, if you remember Sean Connery from that, okay, so imagine Sean Connery. Imagine Sean Connery after five years of solid working out and an extraordinary amount of human growth supplements. Yes. <laughs> But then also put some sunglasses on him. So that's what you're looking at. He's got like a little badger stripe in the beard that is clearly painted on to give it that look. Has a chainmail headpiece that is just hangs out there. And there are pictures of him that show he has traps bigger than my head. And a serratus that should not be that large. Like, you know those little fin muscles on the side of your upper chest that swimmers have really well defined? His are scary big. He is a terrifying looking swole Sean Connery grandpa badger. (laughs) (laughs) But okay, here's my here's my story about how this happened. Okay, somebody had a time machine, right? Right. And so they went to the past and they brought this swole fucking knight from the past into the present. And he was like, ah, shit, it's not cold AF like it was in medieval times whenever it was like (laughs) snowing all the time or whatever. (laughs) And so he can just go around in his uh, little chainmail headdress. But then also somebody told him about sunglasses. and He was like, ah, shit, that's the good stuff. And so he just goes around (laughs) like that now. 
And he just beats up people in ye olde medieval ways. Very good. I love it. Oh my gosh. I don't remember anything about this character other than I think I got them confused occasionally with like Kevin Nash or somebody like that. I don't know. I feel like he's just another giant swole dude. Yeah, well, uh, he, he used to be in a tag team with his brother Rick, a notable tag team called the Steiner Brothers. In sometime in like the late 90s in WCW, when I think Rick had to retire or stop wrestling for some reason, he suddenly got like super buff, um, you know, and it's it's a mystery how he actually <laughs> did it. Oh, wait, no, it's not. <laughs> he, he is denied taking steroids, but he's admitted to using uh, androstene, which is like a precursor to steroids. Oh, my God. In his own words, from an interview he gave to HighSpots.com, Say what you will, I never failed a drug test. When I went up to WWE, they call me, call my lawyer, and said, Oh, they want to drug test you. We said, Yeah, fine, have Triple H pick him up in the limo, they'll both go together. And that was the end of that. That was Steiner's uh, rejoinder to accusations of steroid use. He's never really denied it. And after that, he became this, uh, this weird... Fucking character, also known as Big Papa Pump, or less frequently, the Big Bad Booty Daddy. Mm. As one article that I found in a magazine describes his character, he was testosterone the person. Oh, okay. He was all about hooking up with ladies, but instead of, like, a classy ladies man gimmick, it was a look at me, I'm so hot, all the women want to have sex with me kind of gimmick. His catchphrase was, Big Papa Pump is your hookup, holla if you hear me. That's the whole thing. Scott Steiner's a real weird fucking guy. Yeah, jeez. But there is one more thing I need from you before we go, Bob. Because Eric wanted us to talk about Scott Steiner. I'm very glad he did. But we need to talk about the numbers promo. Okay. And so, Bob, what I would like you to do is I would like you to go onto YouTube and watch a YouTube video. I mean, he's also called the Freakzilla. Did I mention that? The Freakzilla. Wow. I would like you to watch a YouTube video called Scott Steiner's Math Promo Sacrifice 2008. You only really need to watch the first minute 25. You can watch the rest if you want to. He does a lot of like really sexist and like fat shaming stuff in that segment though. Ah, okay. I will skip that. The important thing is the first minute 25. And uh, Sharon and I will go ahead and watch that too. What? <laughs> what the fuck? What? <laughs> what the fuck? What? <laughs> Oh my god, the interviewer's face is like, are you okay? Are you gonna get through this, sir? Do you need help? Do you need somebody from the math tutoring department to help you through this? <laughs> Everyone else on there looks so confused. <laughs> oh my god. Yes, that is Scott Steiner's famous The Numbers Don't Lie promo. Bob, I needed you to watch that because as a wrestling fan who has access to the internet, uh, you will inevitably come across jokes referencing that promo. If you ever see anything talking about how the numbers don't lie and they spell disaster for you at sacrifice, that is what is being referenced. Thank you. I feel wiser and also more baffled. And I would urge you, I can't describe it to you because I could never 
do what Scott Steiner just attempted to do, <laughs> dear fans. Not even Scott Steiner can do what he just tried to do. No, God, no. He he, humble, he stumbled at uh, many of the hurdles along the way. So take yourself over to Yieldy YouTubes and look at this. It is well worth your one minute and 25 seconds. Yeah, if you just Google Scott Steiner math probo, you should be able to find it pretty easily. Can I ask a very quick question? Yes. Is that woman behind them standing on something, or is she that tall? No, she's actually that tall. Oh, dang. oh my yeah. gosh, she is just striking. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm no, I, like... I too was like, all, and who is this tall drink of water? Yes. <laughs> Me? Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll talk more about her sometime. All right, well, that was Guess the Gimmick. Eric McNaughton, thank you so much for thank uh, you. D- allowing me to ruin Bob's day with the knowledge of Scott Skiner's existence. Sharon, thank you so much for, for coming on, honey. It was really good to have yes, you. Yes, thank you thank so you much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Normally, this is the part where you plug stuff. I don't think you have very much to plug. But by the time people hear this, uh, you will be probably very close to if not having actually given birth to uh, our second child so Aww. for that alone you're a fucking rock star and uh <laughs> and just you're awesome so thank you thank you well we'll, we'll see how that goes <laughs> we will see how that goes neither of us is feeling any anxiety about that whatsoever i'm here <laughs> to tell you Although I will say, you know, our first child's name is Rowan, and uh, Sharon, for some reason, has soundly rejected my desire to name our second child Harper. I can't imagine why. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bob, as always, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, and thanks for bringing along your wife, Sharon. Yeah. You're great. We love you. She is great. By the time you're listening to this, she may or may not have had a baby. <laughs> yeah, I, that's just very brave of you. I have heard that it is quite the undertaking. It is, yes. Thank you as well to all of our more metaphorical babies out there. Yeah! Those of you who have gone over to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and signed up at the $2 a month level or anything higher, we really appreciate all of you. I cannot tell you what a difference it makes to be able to go, oh my gosh, yes, I need to make this a priority in my life, but also to go, people support the art that we're making enough that I can, like, take care of the things that I need to take care of. Like, my computer, I might need a new computer to do editing. Hopefully not, but it's nice to have some monetary cushion so that such a thing is possible. For people like Bob and I, having something suddenly be a responsibility... (laughs) Oh, that's a huge deal. A responsibility to someone else so they're not disappointed could be, like, the biggest motivating factor ever, so... Oh, oh, absolutely. We really appreciate all of you, and as it turns out, we have two more of you to appreciate. (gasps) Two more! Two? That is... 200% more than one. No, I don't know if that's true. I don't understand math. I shouldn't have said that. Too late. It's 100% more than one. Thank you. (laughs) But regardless, there are two new patrons uh, who have signed on since our last outro. And uh, as a result, there are two new signees here at the Next Wrestling Fan Federation. And since we got these two kind of you know, right around the same time. Mm -hmm. And we haven't had a new tag team in a while. I thought we'd go ahead and pair them up. Nice. On the indies, 
these two individuals were known as Noel Owens and Chuck Galloway, which honestly are both very good names. Those are fantastic names. Even for wrestlers, like there are wrestlers named like Owens and Galloway in history. So yeah. uh, it's fantastic. But we're doing something a little bit different with them in our promotion. Uh, the tag team is called the Divided Conquerors. Okay. Bob, it's great when you have a tag team of two people that are like totally on the same page, you know, color coded ring gear, you know, tag team finishers just working together really well. It's fantastic. But it's almost better when you have a tag team consisting of two people who are very, very different, but still somehow manage to work together and be successful. Yeah, that's kind of amazing. That's what we have here in The Divided Conquerors, because you see, you've got uh, Chuck Galloway, who we are renaming Overton Payne, P-A-Y-N-E. Ah. ah. And Overton Payne is very much a rule follower. They're a submission specialist. They like to work within all the counts. They don't like getting counted out or disqualified. They like to out-wrestle somebody on the mat and either roll them up for a, a like an amateur wrestling technical style pin or make them tap out. However, their partner is the Brick Toss Kid. Wow, that's such a powerhouse name. And the Brick Toss Kid is not so much into following the rules. They enjoy going behind the ref's back and punching people in the balls or introducing (laughs) steel chairs into the ring, poking people in the eye, maybe getting a little bite in there. The Brick Toss Kid does not give a fuck for your traditions and your norms. You know, these two, they're very different people. They have very different philosophies and ideologies toward life. They get the job done. They're an established tag team. They've already conquered the Indies. Now we're bringing them in to see if they can do the same thing to our tag team scene here in the Next Wrestling Fan Federation. So welcome to the Divided Conquerors. And uh, thank you so much, Noel and Chuck. We really appreciate your support. And uh, I hope you like your characters. (laughs) I think this is really cool. And I love the idea of the rule follower being like, oh, you magnificent bastard. Yes. (laughs) Whenever the Brick Toss Kid does like terrible stuff and respecting it. But then the Brick Toss Kid also looking at Overton Payne and going like, you're a legend. Whenever Overton Payne does like stuff by the book and they both really admire one another, despite the fact that they categorically do not follow either style. That's beautiful. Yes, I that is exactly what I was going for. Hey, speaking of our patrons, we got some new stuff coming your way for uh, patrons only content. We have the poll results for both the art postcard and for the bonus episode. The Art postcard is going to be 1920s Starlet Tyler Breeze. Now, I do want to let you know that whenever we contact an artist, sometimes they say no, and sometimes they have a wait, and so it can be complicated. It's kind of a touch-and-go situation in terms of getting in touch with them and making sure that they're interested and that they're okay with their art being printed and distributed. So I just wanted to let you know that and be transparent. We are going to work on that. And hopefully it will be ready around the holidays. And so Miles and I will be together and be able to sign those. And then our <laughs> our bonus episode, Miles, what won the bonus episode poll? Oh, well, you know what won the bonus episode, Megan Bob, was Tender Wings of Desire, the KFC romance novella slash promotional stunt. 
that was suggested to us by our dear friend and patron, Luke Blunier. Luke. You did it. You did the thing, buddy. You got us to read the KFC romance novel episode. Perhaps it was our hubris that allowed this entry onto the poll at all. Oh, I have no regrets about this. I am very fascinated (laughs) because I am curious how they split the difference between what a romance novel is and what a commercial product should be and where they came down on that. I have a lot of questions about how they executed it. I also want to watch the 15-minute video that they did of it with Mario Lopez as Colonel Sanders. Okay, we can do that. I am interested to compare the novel to the movie. (laughs) No, I, I think this is fascinating because this is a promotional stunt that took actual time and effort and arguably artistry to pull off. Yeah. And that is weird because it's there's a lot of cheaper ways they could have gone. They took a weird risk, and I'm fascinated. There's actually a lot to unpack here, and a lot of interesting conversations I suspect to be had about Tender Wings of Desire, so thank you so much, Luke, for suggesting that. The timeliness of the bonus episode's release is going to pretty much entirely depend on uh, my wife's baby birthing schedule. Yes. If you don't see it for a little while... It's because she had the baby before we had the chance to record the episode. If you see it soon, it's because we managed to squeeze that shit in. Yes. If it turns out that Sharon does have the baby, it'll probably be a month to six weeks because Miles obviously Mm -hmm. needs to be there doing paternity stuff and probably will not have time to read a 90-page novella while dealing with newborn stuff. Look, I'm going to try and read it in the next, like, week. And we're going to see how that goes. (laughs) Exactly. And also coming your way, which is going to happen, is our romance bonus novel episode. And we have our guest. It Mm -hmm. is Chris Newton from the Gameable podcast, from Mega Dumbcast, from Fuck, Mary Slay. From our show. And he has agreed to read with us How to Marry a Millionaire Vampire by Carolyn Sparks which is on Kindle Unlimited for zero of your finest dollars if you have Kindle Unlimited. <laughs> Look, fuck Jeff Bezos, but I read a lot of romance and I don't have that kind of money. So Kindle Unlimited it is. <laughs> Ask me about that weird Dracula romance I read. Yeah, How to Marry a Millionaire Vampire. Uh, we are going to be recording that very soon. Yeah, if you were ever curious as to know what would happen if... A fucking vampire lost one of his fangs after biting into a sex doll. (laughs) (laughs) This is the book for you. It has a ton of positive reviews. So if you want to read it, there you go. Just to let you know how long it is. It's a a little bit under 400 pages, but I think, Miles, you've you've probably found it to be a fairly quick read. It's not stressful. Yeah, no, it's pretty easy to get through, y'all. You know, we mentioned unpacking things earlier, Bob. Yeah. And we also mentioned the whole Tender Wings of Desire thing, which I think part of you is interested in because of how much you enjoy, like, staring into the abyss. I love staring into the abyss. (laughs) On that note, you can hear Bob and I and a couple of our friends stare into various other abysses, all of them sexy, over on the Hard Choices podcast, which is now its own thing. Yes. It's its own podcast feed, Hard Choices. Uh, Most recently, we ranked the fuckability of characters from the Mass Effect universe. 
which is a series of games that neither Bob nor myself has ever played. Well, I, I have a deep relationship with them that is related to the games, but also not fully related to the games, <laughs> which you'll get to learn more about there. And it is over on Hard Choices. Hard Choices is available wherever you get your podcasts, including Stitcher and the other one that's difficult to make your podcast Spotify. show up on. Spotify, that bastard. So, yes, it's available everywhere. If you enjoy it, I would appreciate it if you would leave a review because I think people are probably afraid to listen to it because it sounds scary and like maybe (laughs) it's the wrong kind of horny. And I think you're all going to find out that it is exactly the correct kind of horny, which is to say bizarrely wholesome in its strangeness. Earnest. Absolutely the right kind of horny. Thank you all for supporting us. Uh, If you support us here, if you support us elsewhere... If you support us in your heart. Yeah. If you're not a member of the Smash Fiction fan faction, once again, consider coming over and joining us in that wonderful Facebook group where we have a lot of fun and it's a very wholesome, safe place. We thank you once again for being here and just taking this journey with us, no matter what form that journey takes for you. And that journey continues in two weeks with a new episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. After a while, crocodile. The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman and Megan Bob, with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo, spelled the French way. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at incompetech.filmmusic.io. We're on Twitter and Facebook as The Next Wrestling Fan and in the group The Smash Fiction Fan Faction. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The Next Wrestling Fan is made possible by our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us make this show possible, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fabulous stable of contributors. They're the best! If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. 